brought to you by Brass and Unity. We make wearable conversation starters. Our new buddy check packs are available now. Grab one and check on one of your closest buddies. They may need it now more than ever. Go to brassandunity.com, use the code UNITY and get 20% off. And let's all heal together. And brought to you by Combat Flip Flops. Bad for running and even worse for fighting. Combat flip-flops are your ticket to the unarmed forces by providing you with military-inspired quality footwear for men and women. To help support the podcast and in support of women in developing countries, head over to combatflipflops.com and become a part of their unarmed forces today. Be sure to use the code UNITY at checkout and get 25% off. And brought to you by GFDA. Good fucking design advice. The voice in your head and the foot up your ass. GFDA makes prints, drinkware, and apparel for people who want to do their fucking best. Go and use the code UNITY and get 10% off now on anything on their site, including our collaborative product, Fucking Help Somebody. And brought to you by Daisy May Hat Co., the custom hat company based in Nashville, Tennessee. They make custom one-of-a-kind hats from wide-brimmed fedoras to cowboy hats. All of their hats are 100% beaver felt, and it's the highest quality hat you can get. They also have the coolest shirts ever. You can use the code BRASS at checkout for 15% off your entire order. Go and check out daisymayhats.com. Embrace the fever. Live the dream. And brought to you by American Yogi. In a world increasingly driven toward the grind, find your outlet for peace. American Yogi is a mindfulness-based apparel and wellness brand with international retreats, free classes, and rad clothing and accessories to support you along life's journey. Find American Yogi on Instagram at liveamericanyogi or at americanyogi.com. American Yogi is proud to support the Brass and Unity podcast and its community with the code BRASS15. Join the mindful counterculture. Live American Yogi. All right, everyone. Matt Best has made it on the show. It took a minute, but we got him. But I think it's because that mustache might have a life of its own. So it might be taking up all the time. I personally wanted to wait until I had my mustache trimmed and to the most perfection it can be. Not that it's perfect, but for its own version of perfect. Because I thought the beard was a little overplayed over the years. So wanted to just wanted to pop it. Okay. All right. Well, we'll take it. I mean, it's thoroughly disgusting, but it suits you for some <laughs> weird reason. So I'll take it. Well, I got a new country song coming out in the next couple of weeks. And so I really wanted to play into the hillbilly that I am. And I felt like the mustache was a great, uh, you know, promotional of me being a redneck so well that just took my uh my notes and threw it completely out the window I'm just gonna go with that then so you've got you go from being a rapper to a country singer now yeah I feel like uh you know music has been always always one of those things for me that I, I wanted to be in bands when I was growing up and I was actually a bassist in an emo band but it never kind of amounted to anything and I didn't want to do the rock star lifestyle and admittedly I'm not talented enough when it comes to being a vocalist and or guitar player um, but granted now that we have some Melodyne and Autotune and great producers we have the ability to put some really cool stuff so I love writing music but um, it's not specific to a genre so I usually sing stuff or do stuff that doesn't require great higher really vocal performances so rap and country are, are kind of those two genres that are the easiest to do. <laughs> No, I mean, great. There's some great, like, like there's some great country music art. Like Morgan Wallen is one of my, I mean, I could put that on all day, every day and listen to him. And he is a, an amazing vocalist, but to sing like an Alan Jackson style song, it's not that hard. Yeah. I don't, I don't see you belting a Sugarland song anytime soon. No, definitely not. 
Although I will say, I, I think you don't give yourself enough credit. I've been in, I've been in the room when you've broke out into song during like a <laughs> piano play. I think you, I think you're not as bad as you think clearly. I mean, you've been on the charts before, so people either just really like you and, you know, entertain the idea of you becoming a musician and download your music, or you're actually not that bad to listen to. So I'm just going to go with, you're not that bad to listen to. Fair enough. It's fun. Uh, you know, but I hang out with guys like Danny Warshnop from Ask Me Alexandra, who is just, you know, he starts singing and he'll stop a whole entire room. So I'm used to having just insanely talented people around me. So they set the bar really high. Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. There's something about hanging out with individuals that are bigger and better than you, if only to learn from, I feel like is a good, is a good tool. No cap. It's the kids say, right? <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh man all right let's uh let, let's talk about how I met you because you and I have uh we've sat and chatted before and um I think I got a side of you that I didn't expect and you and I met last October when I came down to do the show and uh, I spent the week out there uh if I would have spent the week <laughs> if I was left to JT I would have been in his house locked in that one back room just waiting for a week but fortunately Logan was like I think We'll take you out of the cubby hole and take you to go do things. Um, so I got to chat and watch what you guys do and what Black Rifle is and from the inside. And I got to say, it's impressive to say the least. But before we kind of touch in on Black Rifle, because it feels like everybody knows your story. So I want to get my own version out of you, though, kind of about your life before that, because you've done a lot of things that you seem to skate over or turn into comedy. And I, and I wonder if there's a coping mechanism in that, a dark humor aspect of it. So I'd love to talk a little bit about your past if you're cool with that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, admittedly, I, I, I've i always kind of used the language of humor through horror and a lot of the difficulties that I've been through in life. And it's just not, you know, surrounding the military experience or, or the war experience. A lot of that, some of the hardest times I've ever had have been in business and losing friends and um, humor has always been a, a currency for me to, to, you know, bring my spirits up and motivate me to continue on. So absolutely. All right. So you served as a ranger for quite, quite a while. Um, you did a lot of time in there and after, <laughs> so I got your book, which was amazing. Thanks for that. But then I had to get the audio because I have to, I got shit to do homie. So I'm on the yeah. mountain in Whistler and I'm listening to you right. just make these ridiculous, these ridiculous sounds during an audio book. And it's comical to say the least. And I think when you're talking about a lot of the death and destruction and the horrific things, including holding somebody's body, or you should have high-fived them with the person's hand instead of just waving with it. Um, I wonder how that has affected you. Like you said, I know there's humor to it, but there's gotta be more to it than that. I mean, was it that you just knew this was your job and this was something that you had to do, or was this just a coping mechanism during the time serving as a ranger? Yeah, I, I think that there's, uh, levels of of it being a coping mechanism for me i think a large part of it is you know w when you when your reality becomes a fantasy and you're living in what you thought was only capable in a fantasy in the light of holding a human body part i think that cognitively you're not conditioned nor were you ever i didn't grow up in an environment where there was war in the streets every day and so i think the reality of that often shocks your brain and then there's certain ways that people deal with it and for me it was kind of making fun of the levity of the situation um and you know as that continued on i think i got better at it but 
in, in the initial phases of seeing certain the stu stuff you see in the in the war experience it's you're just not you're not conditioned to ever expect to see it or see it with your eyes and when you do it it takes you back and um, especially during that story you know I was a, a senior team leader and so it's up to me to kind of break that awkward silence and levity of the situation to kind of motivate people to continue the mission and get it done and then conversations that can be a little more in depth and a little more serious can happen after the fact but when you're still on target you have to accomplish the mission and bring everybody home safe and then there's a time to have an AAR and make considerations about what went on how it went on and then how we can do it better in the future but in the moment I've kind of always been that guy that just kind of like tries to to break the seriousness of the situation to get people kind of back on track to do what we need to do to accomplish the mission. Spoken like a true ranger. Uh, when you got time in the CIA, that's, uh, I was reading through the book and I was looking at your chapter titles and things like that. And I totally misread one. And I thought it said like the tap on the shoulder. Cause I was like, did, did you get the, like the tap on the shoulder? But then I was reading more and I realized it was somebody else who brought you into it. What is it like stepping into a three-letter agency like that? You know, it's interesting. Uh, not a lot of people ask that question. I think for me, it, it's the intelligence community, whichever agency or whoever you work for, it, it is so different. It is so, it is so contingent on the position that you hold within that organization. I mean, I think it's a, it's very similar to the military, right? You have cooks, you have special operations soldiers, you have infantry you have airborne you have data analyzed you have intelligence i mean the experience for everyone is massively different and i think to bucket it into one experience of what it's like is completely contingent on what you did where where you did it and who you did it with and, and you know for me like i admittedly i wasn't the most cool guy or anything like that i was just fortunate enough to work with some badass dudes and gals and um have a very interesting experience throughout the years and a lot of my time um was in kind of northern Iraq and in some areas with the Kurds and I was very thankful to kind of see that culture because I love the Kurds and uh will forever be indebted to their culture and they taught me a lot and so uh for me it wasn't more of like a war experience when I worked there it was more of a cultural experience and understanding kind of how things work in the intelligence community that's about it what made your choice to leave um you know, I, I referenced that a little bit in my book, but mainly it was it was when my professional career kind of caught up with my personal career. And, you know, there was a point where we were landing on said base in said area. And then I would have people come up and be like, why, why are you here? What are you doing? And it, it, it kind of muddled the water. And then the last the last experience I had was actually at a uh, we, we had a meet and greet slash party with Jared Taylor in North Carolina. And I was just about to go down to do a selection for my job and some of the instructor instructors had come up and they were like you better show your a game best and so they had kind of they knew my personality from online and that was translating into me going through a selection and it really really off put me to be honest with you because I, I just wanted to be the gray man do my job but then have this other life but obviously the decisions that I made and putting myself in the internet combined the two and it came to a point where I was just kind of like, like it's safer for me it's safer for my teammates to walk away and pursue this entrepreneurial career and you know if I if it would have failed I probably could have gone back uh, but luckily um, it's been somewhat successful <laughs> somewhat successful okay so if you You've consider right. I mean okay well 
I think you're downplaying to say the least. If you guys don't know who Matt Fest is, his company went public for what was the valuation? 1.7 billion? Somewhere right around there. Yeah. yeah, around that number. Yeah, that's just somewhat successful, I suppose. I mean, that's the goal for most people, isn't it? To end up being successful enough for where you walk around, individuals recognize you enough to know your product and know your things. I mean, that's got to have a, a whole different weight with it on its own. How is that now that you're in a different a different position with Black Rifle and all your success online and the internet? Yeah, it's been a hell of a journey, to be honest with you. You know, I, I think I come from a very in, interesting perspective because I kind of got popular on YouTube first, and then I was known for like Art15 and then the Art15 crew, which was some amazing folks like Vincent Rocco Vargas, who has gone on to have a prolific acting career, and he's an amazing dude. I serve a range of time with him. Uh, guys like Derek Wida, who have gone and made great careers in the fitness industry. And so we had this like kind of crew of really knit tight knit guys. And that was kind of around the art 15 days. And that was a successful apparel lifestyle brand uh, company. And then that kind of molded itself into kind of maturing business a little more from videos and buy a shirt, do this to, to black rifle coffee. Um, and so I've had like incrementally different versions of success as far as being a more successful entrepreneur or a more successful influencer or whatever wacko term you want to fucking say these days about people <laughs> on the internet um uh and so like they all they all come with their good and they all come with their bad uh and today i think the most the greatest thing for me is our support base slash customer is largely super pro-american pro-veteran and that's what I stand for. And I've dedicated my entire life to that. And a lot of the things that I do are off the record and off the scene. Um, but when people walk through an airport and I see a black rifle shirt and they might not even recognize me, but we kind of just smile and wave. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very like, um, I don't know, subculture brand. And it, you're just like, oh, I know what you're about, dude. Like you probably own an awesome AR and you support <laughs> veterans. And so it's like that, it's that little head nod you do. So I'm very thankful for that and the people that have supported us over the years. It's a beautiful thing to witness, even from afar on the outside, after getting to spend any sort of time with you guys and seeing like who you are, not on camera, but just as actual human beings walking around. Um, I was recently in a, uh, just at a coffee shop pretty locally. And uh, there was this gentleman, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend. Uh, I had you guys sent this awesome as you do, you send me coffee and awesome mugs. So I was carrying this mug around with me and I was, we sat down and there was this older guy sitting next to me, must've been in his sixties. And, um, I said, she, my girlfriend asked me, what is that? I said, it's black rifle coffee. She goes, oh, I haven't heard of it. I said, it's cause you live in Canada and you don't veteran gun freedom stuff. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. she was like, no, fair <laughs> enough. She's like, she's getting into it. Anyway, this gentleman heard me say the words black rifle coffee, and you could see him perk up. He had his glasses on. He was still wearing a patch jacket, had a hat that needed a patch on top. And you could see he got really uncomfortable really quickly. And I heard him say to his wife, I'm going to ask her if she knows where I can buy some in Vancouver. And so I, I was just waiting. And I said, what about black rifle? And I kind of turned and did one of these. And he goes, I love their coffee. And I said, great. So we ended up having this huge 45 minute conversation that ended in tears and him ended up showing us photos and this amazing experience of his life. And the long and short was he said, he, he got released for some serious stuff in the RCMP. And he, and he said, you know, it's nice to know that there's a community out there that actually cares about us. And he was bawling his fucking eyes out at a coffee shop to a complete stranger about your company. 
So I text Evan right away and let him know. And he said, thank you. It was right around a time that you guys had just lost someone. So um, he was grateful to hear it. But what's beautiful about the community that you guys have built um, is it's widespread. But like you said, there's this silent nod. There's this understanding. There's this this perception that if you support this company, you have these values. And I think it's beautiful. We don't get to quite have the same values as you guys do. They're taking hunting guns away as well in Canada. So when I go down and you're just chilling with a 50 cal machine gun, just out in the open, not on a military base, it blew my mind. But what else blew my mind was how kind you guys can be to the people when you bring them in. And I think that's a different perspective than some people have. Um, at least in Canada, if you are not more military, more, I don't even say right wing is not the right word, but pretty much anybody who's anti-Trudeau um, would lean towards your company and what you guys stand for and what you guys believe in. Um, it's weird that Trudeau even has support, but you know, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, son. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll get on that later, you know? <laughs> you know, you know we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. We'll get in a in a second. Um, so the, the thing that I love though, is the community. And I think coming from brass and unity standpoint, that's all we've ever tried to create, right? That's all we've ever tried to create is this, this community, this, this like-minded group of people that understand that there's people in the world that have done things, have been through things that, that just need, need support. And when you're healing through any sort of trauma, or you've been through anything, one of the number one things, any psychiatrist or doctor, or anyone worth their salt will tell you is that if you don't have community and you don't have a group setting, you're not going to heal the same. It's just not going to be the same. Do you think that allowed for you and the others in Black Rifle and in Article 15? And so basically anyone around you, do you think it allowed them to heal in a different way because of the community you created? Absolutely, I do. And, and I think to use my personal experience as um, an example is you know, I had a very, very difficult time transitioning out of the military. And then when I went back and started contracting, I was able to surround myself with like-minded individuals that saw kind of the world through my perspective and, ha and had the same or similar experiences that kind of guided their thinking and rationale and perspective on life. And, and I truly believe, you know, when I, I tried to capture that and put that into videos and build a community, that that kind of saved my life. I mean, I, I admittedly take it for granted all the time to think that I get to go to work in a company where there's like hand tattoos and, and, and people get to have a, express their version and their character through art and whatever they do. And then you ask them what their background in is. And, you know, we're almost 50, we're 50 percent veteran hire rate. So it's like most of these guys and gals have served and hearing their experiences and then being like, dude, I was in, uh, you know, Ramadi in 07. I'm like, dude, I was in Ramadi. It's just, it's a wonderful experience. And I know that what I feel like has been missing in American culture is that exists on the, the coastal cities in a more liberal, progressive mentality where they wear their little knit hats and they talk about microaggressions where <laughs> I want to create a company where we can talk about real shit, like real experience. And it's not off limits, right? It's like if someone brings it up or having a hard time, we can freaking talk about it. And I think that the company structure reflects a lot of us individually. I mean, the company's gotten so big, but also like I truly believe in that and I need it personally. And so why wouldn't I want to share that story and culture and environment with other people? And 
that's really what's been happening. And you've seen a lot of offshoots from Black Rifle of other people that have come into our organization, started their own entrepreneurial journey. And for me, it's a rising tide lifts all ships. Like I would love to see more veterans in politics. I'd love to see more veterans as entrepreneurs, like thought leaders within our community because they come from a background of massive real life experience. And I think that's the difference between um, a lot of like middle-class America to include veterans is they've lived this fucking shit where all these other erudites that sit on their pedestal and preach education, they've never lived an ounce of life in their real life. They read it through a textbook. That's not reality. That's your version of information cycling it through like a, a, a brain that has had no real-time experience. So the whole position of that is like, I'm excited that we've done a little bit, but there's a lot more to do to support our community and grow and see success in it um and i literally will do this until i fucking die so yeah that or you know there's some major malfunction on the range when you're shooting some ridiculous video while pouring coffee on something well that's that's how i could die you know it's just like shoot a 20 mil and blow up my face hey i'll go out doing what i live i was just gonna say i feel like that would make for a youtube video that would do very well for you you'd be quite happy with although you wouldn't be here but your team would sure appreciate the views so I mean, listen. Well, it almost happened to my my friend Kentucky Ballistics. I don't know if you saw that. His fifty what? cal blew no. up. Yeah, I was shooting his fifty cal, um, and it blew up because he had a hot round, and pretty much uh, I think it was arterial in his neck, and he had, his whole joke was stick a thumb in it, and pretty much lucky his dad was in the range. Lucky that the dude was, had his wits about him. Um, he's Scott's a great guy. I love that guy, um, but he lived through it, and that video went super viral. But I mean, at the cost of nearly losing his life but if you haven't seen it or your audience hasn't uh kentucky ballistics it's a it's a crazy video yeah i'm gonna watch that immediately after because i can't say that i have seen that that's i mean that's aggressive you guys do mess around with a lot of really incredible things i know i was fortunate enough to see the tesla before you guys put it out and uh, what you did there do you want to talk about your uh, affinity for putting things into vehicles you know, it's interesting because when, when companies, they do these marketing campaigns and like I've, I've, you know, a large part of my background comes from directing and content and ideation and these things around how do you create an experience for an end user that is entertaining and engaging. And when we, we kind of just sit in a room sometimes and go, what's the most ludicrous, crazy thing we could do? Like, let's put a minigun on a Tesla or, or said vehicle and then we luckily have so many amazing friends that have destructive device licenses. So we have the ability to like obtain these items and just throw them on there. I'm like, I've never seen when we did the Prius, a 20 millimeter Gatling gun on a, on a Prius. Like the, it's just hilarious. It's like this eco-friendly, you know, electric car that has essentially an A10 Vulcan cannon on it. I mean, it's, <laughs> why, why not? You know, why not? And it, and the funny thing is, is people think we spend a buttload of money on that stuff. Like we, we're, we're, I'm still in like, you know, startup phase when I do content. It's, I, we, 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 we pull our pockets inside out and try to shake out the fuzz and get a couple of pennies to do it. But luckily we have some super talented people that make it happen. Well, your YouTube, when you started that, um, I, I believe if I didn't read this incorrectly, you started your YouTube in 2012. Yeah. Right around 2012. Yeah. So what was that yeah, like? I'm getting for old. You? That's 10 years. Damn. <laughs> Bro, tell me about it. I got out, I got out an 11 and I, I sit here, look at the clock sometimes. I'm like, where's my rocking chair? Where's my shotgun? Yeah, no. Like, oh, miserable though already. This is a problem. But yeah. what, um, oh, you got me off track there. What, uh, what's the next kind of 
what's the next kind of thing for you guys? Because YouTube for you, like you said, you started that and you put out this, that, that video, which by the way, I went and watched this morning, the first video you put out, which arguably I wouldn't have had the balls to put that out. Just, I think your, your ability to look at yourself in a commit, like a comedic way and just see it for what it is as just helping others and not seeing it as like an, an embarrassing thing or like, Oh, I didn't look right. Or, Oh, I wasn't good at that. Do you think that's because number one, you're a ranger. So you don't really give a fuck about anybody besides, you know, your people, or do you think that's because you see the greater good in, in helping others and knowing that that would make someone else laugh? Yeah. I mean, I think times were different back then, but I, yeah, it's your point. I, I guess I just don't really give a fuck. I think it's hilarious to make fun of yourself. And I've tried to do that over the years and, and keep it humorous and stuff. And, you know, especially recently, and that's what my channel has tried to always do. And granted, I've kind of been not on it for a while because I kind of lack some creative vision and what I really wanted to do with it. But this year, last month, I finally published something. So I'm, I'm getting back into it and doing what I'm passionate about. And I feel like that's what art is. It's an expression of your personality and it's not like a direct representation of it, but you know, I enjoy making people laugh and doing crazy stuff. And a lot of the time, the stuff that I'll put out, people don't have the balls to do it. They're worried about backlash. They're worried about looking stupid um, unfortunately I'm in a position where I can kind of do what I want for better, for worse. Um, so that's cool. But yeah, I mean, I just, I just like to make people laugh. I don't, there's not a lot to it. That's what really started this whole thing was I like to put a smile on someone's face. And when you see comments that are like, I really needed that today. I mean, that's, that's literally what you do it for. So I find that YouTube can be a cesspool, um, in terms of the comment section. It's of course very uh, similar to Twitter in that sense. So how does somebody, how does somebody either coming up uh, at your position above your position or wherever online, how do you cope with that? Because I know, like you said, you don't give a fuck, but truly like beyond, like, I know you, when you say yeah. you don't give, give a fuck, but like for a second, when yeah. somebody comes at you online, does any of that affect you? Do you have any coping mechanisms? Do you just not care? I, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of people say don't read the comments. And I think that that's misleading. I think that there's, you know, it, it, it's, I look at uh, content in a democratic sense that, you know, if the majority likes it, then that's voting power that says it's good. And, and people in that space view it. But then you have pieces of content always that are divisive in nature, because if it's vanilla and it doesn't offend anybody, then no one's going to fucking watch it, right? There has to be some form of offense or divisiveness in that piece of content. I mean, you look at news cycles and what their algorithms are promoting, it's essentially built around fear mongling and all these things because fear sells. And so, you know, and I, I don't necessarily do that always on purpose, but like, I like to troll people and troll groups that I, you know, that I'm not a part of because I think it's hilarious. And they do the same thing. Like every SNL, every other late night show trolls the hell out of our types, you know, like freedom loving gun owning Americans. And yeah, like you can say you don't read the comments, but I've been in positions before admittedly over the years where like you're scrolling past hundreds of nice comments that are like best video ever. This is awesome. Love what you guys do. And then you find the one that's like a negative thing. Like, oh, fuck this dude up. And I think my issue with it over the years is there's no accountability. People can say whatever they want and to include slander and lies. Like it's one thing if someone's like, this guy's a douchebag, I don't like the video. Like that's your opinion and you you own that and deserve to have that. It's when people kind of like come up with a misrepresentation of who you are and your character. That's the ones that have got me over the years. And then I have to realize that, again, I just don't fucking care because I know who I am 
And I judge my character and my personality by my peers who are hyper successful, hyper talented people. And if they say I'm fucked up, then I'm fucked up, right? Because it's like writing a um, a clinical paper. It's like it's peer reviewed by other doctors in the space. And if they like it, then that's right. Or you're going to live like the COVID life of like you can say whatever you want and no one has accountability. Like, so that's what the YouTube comment section is for me a lot. Um, especially the negative stuff. People want to hate. And the larger you get, right, I truly believe, like, you die a hero or you live long enough to become the villain. And and portions of my personality have done that. I've been on the internet for 10 years. Um, I've had multiple hyper-successful ventures. And I get looked at in a different lens. And and, and that's, like, totally fine for people. But also, I, I challenge people to, like, dig in a little more and see, see what all we're doing. Um, but you can't win everybody over. And I honestly, I don't, I don't really care. So. Oh, your attitude is fantastic. And I love it dearly. I like that you're honest about it though, because whether people say they read the comments or not, they do. I can't stand. That's the thing that irks me the most is you've got all these really big people out there who have podcasts and things like I don't read the comments. And then they text you like, I watched the first 30 minutes of the comments. And if I see something I don't like in that, and then I turn it off, bro, you watch the comments. You fucking everybody does. Don't, don't act like that. I can't, I can't stand that. So the fact that you're able to be honest enough about that, I do appreciate it. Say the well, least. I mean, like art and, and content and entertainment, it's a similar of like cooking a meal. It'd be like cooking tacos for a group of 10 people and you're just like, it's fucking awesome. Like if you don't have <laughs> feedback, right? Like right. maybe someone does it. The people that don't eat meat and you make carne asada tacos, like I'm not going to listen to their opinion on my fucking, my <laughs> But but like if people are taco lovers, they're like, Matt, you make some of the worst tacos I've ever heard. I'm like, I should probably reevaluate my taco making. So it's like it's a good guiding factor generally. Um, but then you'll have one side that will support you through anything you do and one side that will hate you for everything you do. I think the, the rationale is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, fair enough. I can appreciate that. You talk about all your hyper successful business ventures. Um, you've got quite a few of them. Any one of those just in life would have been enough for someone, but you seem to keep striving for, for more and for more. And again, I think you've reiterated that's because you want your community to be successful. You want people, you guys are on a mission to hire how many veterans? 10,000. Yeah. Where are you at now? Um, we're just shy of a thousand employees and half veterans. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's super impressive, but can you tell me about something you failed at? all the time <laughs> so all the let's time. hear it let's hear it i mean i've had multiple failed businesses i've had uh failed pieces of entertainment i've had things that i've poured my heart and soul and time and energy and money into as far as let's like videos or commercials that have just fell flat because a i wasn't involved enough personally like meaning like i just didn't commit myself enough and so those are all learning lessons across across the board. And if like, I, it kind of comes back to if you're not going to do it right, don't do it at all. And that's kind of, I have to challenge myself on a daily basis to make sure I'm, I'm doubling down on things. And that's really what it is. But like failure is a part of success. I mean, it's like nothing's handed out. I mean, being an entrepreneur, I didn't start off like daddy gave me a, a, a million dollar loan to start a business. Like, you know, Black Rifle was founded out of a garage and Evan sold pretty much everything he had. And I was contracting 10 months out of the year to support buying cameras and editing software and all of that so it's a grind 
And that part of the business is really fun. But then as you go later in life and it starts to grow, you hire the wrong people. You bring people that lie to you and you, you're too trusting or you're not trusting enough. And so it's an ever-evolving door of just professional development and personal development, to be honest, is a lot of it you have to look inside of yourself and say, like, do I have enough to do this? Because it's, I think being an entrepreneur and a business owner is arguably the most challenging job I've ever had in my entire life, like ever, especially being in the public light. It, it comes and presents so many challenges as far as like people want to know where you live and what your wife eats for breakfast and all these things. And granted, you can't complain about it because like we put it out there, but in the same light, it, it comes with its own um, discrepancies as well as, you know, positives. How do you manage that with a wife and a family? and people and your privacy is that something you even have any longer i just get some acreage and make some gates and you know <laughs> it's not that bad i mean you know you always have the weirdos once in a while that do some crazy stuff but um i would like to think of myself as a pretty hard target so uh i would say so i mean with the amount of guns that you guys have around you on a regular basis just walking into the house uh, i think it was your old place actually mm -hmm. logan's place there was guns your books and guns <laughs> everywhere. Well, I don't, I don't have kids, so it's super easy for me to just like have, you know, like a, a, right. a, a kitchen Glock, a bed Glock, uh, <laughs> a kitchen Glock, you know, maybe a toilet Glock. No, I think that's, I think a, that's a podcast Glock. Shout out to <laughs> Glock. Yeah. God, I love that so much, but it's such a shock to people who aren't from America or who don't have you know, swaths of friends like this, that when you do go to the States, you see guns just lying around everywhere, but there's this innate respect that you have for them. But yeah, I would like to think that I wouldn't want to uh, show up at your house or on your property unannounced to say the least. I think you would end up in a body bag, but that's just my perception of the situation. It, it is interesting to hear other people's uh, opinions about like firearms that didn't grow up with them because, you know, my father is a Marine Corps veteran. He was a sheriff uh, for like a decade or whatever it was. And uh, so, like, I grew up shooting shotguns and pistols at the age of, like, four. You know, we would go up <laughs> into the hills, and I'd have my little twenty-two underneath my shoulder. And, and so, for me, it's always been, like, a, an amazing, useful tool. And here in America, it's a constitutional right. And I truly believe that, like, we don't – the Constitution doesn't exist without the Second Amendment because that's the barrier, right? That's That's us saying, like, no to tyranny. That's saying no to, like, anything other than freedom. Um, so it's always weird when I hear other people they are like, what, you have a, you have a gun in your home? I'm like, yeah, I sleep with night vision and AR like right next to me. It's just, it's just, it's a tool. Right. And I'm very safe yeah. and I don't have kids again. Like I always believe that parents should properly stow their firearms and be as safe as possible and responsible firearm owners, but, um, I got dogs. So. Yeah, you do. That's, that is true. And I understand that for most people, guns are, I think, I think people's trepidation around guns is just, uh, uneducation. Like they're just not educated. They've mm -hmm. never been exposed to them. They've never shot one. They've only ever seen them in movies. They only ever see what's written on TV where, you know, bad guys shoot good guys with guns when that's just not the reality that's happening around us, at least in Canada for us. I don't know how much you've paid attention to the hat that's on fire that currently has Chinese police stations in it. But, um, did you know about that? Do you know no. what's do you, do you want to know about it, Matthew? Yeah, yeah. Fill me in. Fill me in. Okay. A, a, a hat with Chinese PlayStations in it. I'm... Police stations. Oh, police stations. Yeah. Okay. So your hat, which is where I live, right? Okay. I come down to hang out where the where the freedom lives, and then I come back up to the hat. Got it. And then 
Vancouver and Toronto, there are two police stations from the CCP with Chinese flags flying and they have authority. So what they do is they go around and they um, harass Chinese dissidents and possibly take them back. Um, and so they it's happening in Canada. It's it's uh, nationwide. Germany has one as well. Yeah, Canada has, I believe, as of right now, it's Vancouver and Toronto. Um, but yeah, you guys have Chinese police officers right above you, literally on your border. And uh, oh, also training on Salt Springs Island. So we bring them during COVID. I'm, brought... I'm gonna I'm gonna put that in my notes because I need to read up on this. Th that is crazy. That is that is insane. Listen, That's insanity. Listen. I text Logan this shit all the time. And he goes, oh, okay. <laughs> like I like before the veteran, like the assisted suicide thing came out. Um, so we have Veterans Affairs that's been offering Canadian okay. veterans assisted suicide, the MAID program, instead of offering them. Yeah, yeah. So a few of those individuals were my friends. So I sent it down and I always go, hey, does coffee or die want this before this pops out? Because I got all this stuff that I find out about. And so, yeah, right now the, the Chinese police stations are the biggest issue. Um, people are currently standing outside of like the Chinese consulates and the police stations right now. And like, uh, saying like down with the CCP and there's a whole bunch of protests, just like there is in China. It's, it's a whole different dynamic because the Canadian federal Alliance has pretty much been paid off by the Chinese and it's, it's obvious and evident and known. Um, it's a whole thing. It's a great, it's a great time in the land of no guns. Awful. That's yeah. freaking awful. I'm sorry y'all are doing that. Damn. No, it's okay. We're not doing it. The Trudeau government is doing it. Yeah, the Communist yeah. Party over there. Yeah, the Chinese Communist Party of Canada. When I make those jokes <laughs> to Canadians, they don't laugh. Only Americans laugh at that joke. So I'm glad that you get it because thank God for that. Can you tell yeah. me something that people misunderstand about you or Black Rifle? Oh, fuck. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, uh, dude, that's too been... real there for you a second, huh? Yeah, I was like trying to think. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's so much, you know, again, I've been on the Internet for so long that there's 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 just like anything and everything out there. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I'm, I'm at that age now because I'm like, you know, I started the Internet what, when I was, you know, 25, 26. I'm 36 now. And um I don't know. I just, I kind of just like do me. And I think it's really refreshing to get back to that. And I don't really let people influence my behavior. Mm -hmm. I just, I kind of like locked in of what I believe in and that that's going to be me. And so I don't really know if there's something I need to like educate people on about my personality necessarily. Not necessarily your personality, just a random question that I thought would be interesting to see your response on. Cause some people have very different responses. It's very that's fascinating fair. to me. Yeah. Well, I, you'd be surprised. But I, something I would say I, I would touch on is there, there is a perception of you guys and how you, and how you work and how you are, but I'm going to tell a story about you because I think it's important to know that there's a softer side of, of Matthew. And that would be when I came down, I had just finished a weekend doing ayahuasca and you guys brought me to the range and asked me what do you want to shoot? And quite literally any other time in my life, I would have been like, but I was not in a you know position in a place or emotionally to be able to be touching a bunch of guns and just going to town. So I left the room and I went off to uh, just another room by myself, which by the way, was the coolest fucking space I've ever seen. A bunch of cool ass astronaut information oh, there, yeah, bunk the beds. Weird... Awesome. Yeah, there's a vibe to that place, huh? 
Yeah, that, that ranch is cool. Um, we don't really say it that often publicly, but it's, it's a ranch here in the San Antonio surrounding area. And back in like the 50s, 60s and 70s, it was like one of the most prolific South Texas hunting ranches. And so you had you have all this history and epic shit on the on the walls of astronauts that came to visit and really big VIPs. And it, it's a little sad to see uh, the deterioration of that ranch over the years based off of like the family lineage. And I think now they kind of just want to sell it. And it's unfortunate that one day they'll probably get, um, you know, just bought up by housing developments. But for now, um, it we get to use it. And it's really cool history. And we have the range out there. And then there's places to like fish and drive ATVs. And it's really been a, a staple and a part of the soul of the company for about, I don't know, five years now. So we've been so thankful to have it and so many cool memories. And I'm glad that you had a positive experience out there as well. Well, I'm voting for you to purchase it. So I think oh, that should be on the list. It's too nice of a town. It's too expensive. I We were like thinking about it and they told us the price tag and we all ran away. Really? Oh, it's so expensive. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I would think that you would want to keep the history though. Like them themselves. Like I would think that they would want to want to keep that. Not when you're talking tens of millions of dollars and the family can sell it. You know, I don't, I don't know the interpersonal workings with it, so I don't want to discredit anybody, but also I, I, you know, if it was in my family, I would do everything in my power to keep it. Yeah. It's a beautiful space, but anyway, I digress. You came in and there's massive groups of people are that are on you when you guys are filming and just musicians and veterans and guns and just, uh, groupie is not the right word friends of everyone are there and it's this just these massive amounts of people all the time and i just snuck off to myself and and here you come and you're just hey you, you good hey you good you just took time out of whatever you were doing barely knowing me just to check to make sure somebody else was good and i think people don't see that side of you i think they see it on a larger scale from an overview like you're trying to help so many people but from an individual's perspective i had a very different experience with you than I think a lot of people have. And it's that you were very honest and open and very deep. And I think that's where, when you say the people we hire, we like to hire for a reason because you need to be deeper than a cookie sheet to be around you guys, because there's been so much experience in your lives that sitting there and talking about the weather and like the latest Netflix show, like, it's just not going to suffice. It's not going to feed the soul. It's, it's not going to help anyone. And your willingness to sit with me with that has always, and never left. Uh, it's always just been a mark that I've watched from afar after that. It's, it's changed my perspective on you in, in, in a quite a big way it, for a good reason. I don't think that you were ever anyone I didn't respect, but you always have this, you're the media guy with the super white teeth that's always smiling with a fucking machine gun and a guy in your backpack. Like you, I got to see a very different side of you and I'm grateful for that because it shows um, the humanity side and I, I'm stoked on that. So thank you for that. Well, well, thank you very much for the kind words. And I definitely remember that conversation. It was with the big uh, bay windows right yes. there at the ranch overlooking. Yeah, no, it was a very compelling, deep conversation. And I enjoy that. I think that no matter how much experience in life you've lived, it's like if you provide opportunity to people to talk and you to be a sponge and listen, you can pretty much learn anything from anybody. And you had great information and great experience. And that's why I think we talked for, I think it was like nearly like 45 minutes or something like that, an hour or whatever it was. But um, I welcome those things because it betters you and it helps your perspective on life. Because a lot of things that I've lived through and I think might not be law, right? There's other people that have had similar experiences, but they look at it completely different. And I, I 
again, that's like personal development. That's how you get better in life and that's how you get smarter. And, and I think that translates directly to business and your family, your marriage or relationship, how you treat other people, uh, understanding that everybody's going to have a bad day once in a while. And one experience is, is not exactly who they are. So, um, yeah. No, I, like I said, there's, there's a lot of different ways you can look at people, but, um, you guys seem to open, open the door to a different way of thinking. And I, and I'm grateful for that. I wish there would be more individuals that'd be willing to have those types of difficult or off the cuff or deeper than a cookie sheet conversation. But for whatever reason, because maybe they are public persona or the way that they think they just, or maybe they don't actually think maybe it's just reverberation of information they've heard from somebody else. They don't actually have true thoughts on those things. I think that's another thing, but I, I wish there would be more. And I think that's why this show exists is the deeper, the conversation, the better I have our listeners feel, I feel, and I feel like the individual on the other side of the table or in the sense in the screen feels as well. And this idea that we can have conversations that are, like I said, just deeper, and it's more important now more than ever for individuals to be having those because I think so many people like you said there's a for sure in America there's a left side and a right side and struggle to find the middle and I think that's where we've lost the ability to find the middle is because we don't have or we're unwilling to see other people's point of views um I don't know that you and I have too many different points of views other than the fact that no I, I think we're pretty I think we're pretty on par here I mean you think that Trudeau should perish like everyone else. So I'm going to lean towards that. You believe that guns should exist. I'm going to lean towards that. How do you feel about psychedelics? Psychedelics? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I can't say what organizations, but I, there, there are certain organizations that I are, are doing massive clinical research surrounding um, trauma victims, PTS, and, you know, veterans as well bucketed into that. And um I work with a few, well, let me start here. I work with a few different organizations, some on the clinical side that is more formal practice in medicine, um, where, you know, they, they do shots in the neck and it's a fight or flight response and you're resetting the nervous system to reset the brain. And so like, I'm, I'm, I have my kind of ears in the streets with all these different organizations that are trying to do groundbreaking stuff because, you know, and when I look at people that have been through trauma and we always say PTS and we associate that every single time with a veteran and granted I'm here to help veterans. It's what I believe in, but like, we don't also talk about like rape victims and there are so many female rape victims. And a lot of these things that are benefiting science, benefiting um, veterans are, are really helping like traumatized women in, in rape cases. And there, and there's a lot more of them to be honest with you. And there's a lot more, social misunderstanding about that experience comparatively to the veteran experience because like i can be like yeah i went to war and i'm i'm, I'm revered for it but it and, and i'm not saying they're the same or they're different i'm just saying like the experience and the trauma is 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 the same kind of human emotion and so it's been really cool to see some of the stuff that's been happening on the clinical side and that also with psychedelics um, I've been, you know, Jared Taylor is very open spoken about that, my business partner about him and his research and some of the nonprofits he's working with and um, guided tours down with with doctors and all of that. And so where I sit today with it is like, I, I believe in it. I think it works. I've seen it change some of my friends lives for the absolute better, like guys that were on 
tens of tens of medications that were suicidal, that were angry and violent and alcoholics. And they go through this long process of going down there and taking their journey. And they come out the other side as like loving, introspective people that have a new life purpose. And however they got there, I'm not sure, but that that journey and the psychedelic component associated with the doctors are great. I think we start to come into issues just like some of the other stuff when people are self-prescribing without a visceral understanding of it. And I think that that's where the complexity and the, the complications are going to come in as it becomes more widely known. And then you can reference success criteria that happen to certain individuals and then say, hey, well, if I just go do a journey on myself at my house, like hard no, right? And unless, you know, I know people do it recreationally, but you know, and I'm only speaking from my uneducated opinion. I've seen it work. I fully support it. I can't wait for the next five to 10 years to like undemonize a lot of these drugs. Like a mar marijuana is another one. Like the fact that veterans can't go out and get like medicinal marijuana to help their fucking sleep is the most stupid thing in my, like we're going to feed people and self-medicate with booze, alcohol. Right. And I've been one of those guys, like my whole entire life, like I've, you know, drank a lot and uh it's like and i see other people that finally got into a legal state they're like dude it changed my life i stopped drinking and i can sleep better so it's just like i want the conversation to be around helping people but we obviously know big pharma and a lot of other lobbyists don't want to help people they want to fill their pockets and i think psychedelics bucket in there as well as marijuana and i support it and i would fully support a lot more research going into it and helping people it's interesting to me to hear that America doesn't allow that. So recently, uh, probably about a month or two ago, I, I went down and spoke at a Defenders of Freedom event. They fund the TBI treatment at the Resiliency Brain Health Center in Capel, Texas. And I went through for my undiagnosed TBI, I went through uh, for brain treatment in March of this year. And um, so I went down to this tournament and speaking there and I'm <clears throat> uh, speaking to this gentleman who's in his 50s, who uh, had his one arm, one arm, and I think part of his torso uh, blown off by an RPG. Okay. So he's a pastor with like eight children. This guy goes above and beyond, but he's in like living hell because the VA down in America stated that if he uses cannabis or test positive, he mm -hmm. will then lose all of his benefits. But if he takes yep. the oxys and the this and the that, he goes, all I need is a couple gummies and I can thrive. I don't need any of these others for pain management, for stress management, for nothing. I, I can thrive. But America, for some reason, has wrapped their brain around this idea that cannabis is the devil and that veterans, excuse me, who use cannabis should lose their rights after they fought for them and put their lives on the line. That's the only downfall to America in my eyes right now from the veteran standpoint is that you guys are not allowed to access what we in Canada are. The government pays for my weed. It comes by FedEx and shows up at my no door. No shit, really? Yeah, hundred. I'm on 180 grams a month. That's a lot of grams. Six grams a day, baby. Yeah, yeah. Paid for by taxes. Right. But then on the flip side, yeah. no, go ahead. No, I mean, I, I, I think that, so if, if before, if I can accomplish it for the, the day I die, something I would really like to see around the veteran treatment and trauma treatment is an individual, like visceral perspective. And, and, and to your point, when you look about the VA, they have one way of doing things, right? Mm -hmm. Has opioids and something else worked for people and have they got their life back? Yes. Does it normally work? No. 
very this small, much right? People. Yeah, this yeah. much. And so there, I don't necessarily know the reasoning because there's, I think the VA gets shit on a lot and I agree with some treatment, but there are good people in there, but like we have to change the system. Yeah. And, and the system should be individually based. It's like why I work with the boot campaign and the nonprofit that I sit on the board of directors for. One of them is it's all individualized, right? You don't, you come in with your issues and they don't just go like, here's some pills, do better and go fishing, right? Like you get brain scans, you get blood work and it's a process and it's a linear treatment cycle. So you can address the causation of the issue. And then you go into the treating the symptoms and then you go into the things for longevity, which might be community-based programming, like fishing and surfing with veterans, right? So it's like, but you can't take someone that's addicted to like pain medication and throw them out and fishing, in my personal opinion. Like you have to put them through an individualized treatment, find the causation of their issues because it might be alcoholism, but that might be because of TBI and they're forgetting things. So it's like, it, it's very, very dynamic and complex, but you have to like do the fucking work. And the mm -hmm. problem is, as we know, every government is lazy. They just, oh, whatever. they don't fucking care. And that's why I, I really like these emerging um, nonprofits in the veteran space that are like combating <laughs> these issues in a more holistic, reasonable way that have a higher success criteria than drugs. And mm -hmm. you see it working. Like I see it working. I see like, like the success criteria with fucking or the outcomes of like boot campaign is phenomenal. Like mm -hmm. it's phenomenal. You see people that were like on their deathbed on their couch, pretty much drinking themselves to death in pain. And then a year and a half later, they're coming and volunteering at Santa boots and wrapping Christmas presents. Like it, it like it, it's amazing. Like that's the whole purpose of this. And that's where that community aspect comes back in. But we, we just, we, we're just in the wrong form of thinking. I think everybody thinks like, take your drugs, weed's bad, psychedelics are bad. Like I, I've had a clearance for a lot of my life and I thought weed and psychedelics were the worst thing in the entire world, world until I started talking to people and they're like, nah, bro. <laughs> <laughs> they're lifesavers, man. They're yeah. not only lifesavers, they're healers and they give people their life back, which then gives them most of the time gives a wife their husband or husband, their wife and their children, a present parent, less violent, less angry, less reactive. And I think that's why I scream so loudly about psychedelics. I know after a former uh, ranger that served in your battalion, Griff said to me one day, he's like, after he took me to my first ayahuasca ceremony, because that's who introduced me to Aya was he said, <laughs> don't go out and be the veteran with the billboard that's talking about psychedelics. I said, how can I not? How can I not when it's done what it's done for me? I mean, it's when you see it for the first time and you work with these organizations, like that's why we, that's why Brass and Unity partnered with the boot campaign there. We've never partnered with a United States organization before, except for them, because they're so powerful in what they do and they do it from an individualized basis, but they care. They genuinely care. They're not just going to give you things to make you do things. They're going to do it because they know at the end of the day, if you go down that path, it's going to lead to the right direction. Well, and I think a large part of what people can do that are educated far more than I am in the space to include yourself, it's like it's educating people on the process to take away that trepidation, right? When you look at an example that you made of firearms, people might be like, oh, my God, that's like a ghost gun, right? It's like, no, let's talk about it. Let's talk about how it helps. And the psychedelic stuff, I've learned a lot from my friends that have gone on journeys and stuff. It's like, it's not like you just show up and pop some drugs and you see a purple <laughs> lizard, right? Like you're taking months of months of dietary restrictions. You have mm -hmm. to take, you have to get off all certain drugs you're taking, no alcohol, all these things. And it is like a prep phase. You're going through classes, you're reading, you're educating yourself. Like, and then 
the journey, right? And so, but like, it's not just like a, a weekend of getting high, right? And I think that that's what we need to communicate to a lot of people to make this more understood. So more funding comes in in the research component of it. Mm -hmm. So we can get better at like understanding of what's happening. Um, but the not a lot of that's going on, right? It's still, it's still like demonized across the board. Even weed is in it. It's like what we're 2022. It's insane. Well, in Canada, at least the one thing they're doing, right, there's a couple nonprofits, one's called Theracil, and then there's a pharma-based, uh, natural-based pharma company run by some veterans called Apex Labs. And right now they are on the first phase 2A clinical trial funded by the government of Canada for psilocybin for veterans. And so Theracil sued the government under section 56 to have the right to use uh, psilocybin for end of life therapy. So you're seeing this massive transition in Canada where now once Theracil wins this lawsuit, it'll trigger the system to have to write the legislation for legalization for, uh, for psilocybin. So in January of next year, Alberta is decriminalizing psilocybin, ketamine, uh, D what's the other one, MDMA. And there's one other one. So mm. The research is happening in Canada. We are starting along that path. You've got legalization. I think in Oregon was the next one that just did the psilocybin as well. So you're seeing some really good results coming out, but it always takes so long. And the thing about our community is I personally don't believe we have that long. I mean, the stats are showing from 22 to 44, we're losing people faster than we've lost on these deployments. So how do we get to them in time? Like, how do you start? How do you get someone to realize that you can try this thing that you've been told your whole life by either the Catholic church, your family or whomever, that if you do this, you're going to hell. Like, how do you get someone to realize that they're in their own way by drinking a bottle of Jack every night? Like how, like, how do you talk to your vets if you're trying to say, hey, why don't you go look at this organization for support? I mean, I try, but I fail, obviously. Like I've had a couple recent friends and, you know, it's like you look back on it and you feel like a failure. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you try to do your best, but like, you know, you hope you hope to save the majority, but it still doesn't mean that some slip through the cracks. And, and I think the most challenging part for me and some of the recent stuff that's happened in my personal life is like I don't really know how to solve it and I hate not being able to solve problems because like I'm a problem solver um you know and so like it's why I have hard communication sometimes with a wife because it's emotionally based not rational based but mm. I don't I don't necessarily know the answer to that and how to ask people to find treatment and 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 what I've found um which is very unfortunate and hopefully this I don't know. I don't know how to say it, but some of our types, they don't want help. And when they've made a decision, they make a decision, right? When you made a decision to go through a door and there's someone on the other side with an AK-47, you made, you made that decision. You're not, you're not, you're not, not going through the door. And I think some of that stuff with some of these tendencies in suicide is the same thing. And, and it's so quiet that you'll never know the exact reasoning or the motivation behind it. Um, so it's hard to figure out how, and I've been searching for a lot of answers on some of the things. And I, I, I you know, it, it, but you know, that's a, that's a great indicator to get back on mission and continue to the, continue forward. Like you can't let those mishaps stop you. It's just kind of like, fuck, well, we got to do better. I don't know what better is, but like, it's mm -hmm. somewhere that way. So we got to go. So.
Yeah. But the fact that you're willing to see that as, Hey, we don't shut down. We, we keep trying to do better. We keep trying to save people. We keep trying to employ people. We keep trying to make people realize that there is a community that does care about them, that it's not a click base. This isn't just because you know, somebody, you know, somebody it's you, if you put the uniform on, you are a part of this community and that could be any uniform, any uniform to serve. It doesn't have to be military. You are a part of this community and you deserve the support within that community from all of these people. And, and I think that's the difference is for me, when it comes to talking to individuals about any sort of getting support or getting help for yourself, if there's a family that's involved, I always just start with how much do you love your wife? How much do you love your kids? Like, do you want them to remember you? Cause they're too young right now. If you leave and, and I start with that conversation, I might not be the right way, but it's, it's what I know. It's all I know. I'm blunt and I'm to the point and I'm right in your face about it. And I'm annoying as fuck. And you know that I'll get to you. I will get to you. It may take some time, but I'll fucking get to you. Um, right. but people's lives are worth, are worth being annoying for, in my opinion. hundred percent. Yeah. 100%. Well, well, Matt, that's all the time we've got today. Um, I hope that we can do this again. I know we were just kind of starting to scratch the surface on some things I'd like to get into with you, but I appreciate your time, my friend. No, absolutely. Thank you so much. I, I love the conversation. It's uh, compelling and deep and makes you think through some things. So I, I really appreciate it. And you're awesome. And I got a gift bag, by the way, and I have, it happened to be some brass and unity little thing in there. So uh, it was, Which at one? The, it was the, like a nine mil casing and a little, Oh, the, uh, the buddy check. Bin. Yeah. The buddy yeah. check. That's what we did I, with the boot campaign. I gave it to one of the female veterans at my Utah office because there was no way it would fit around my wrist. And we sat there for 15 minutes trying to figure out how to loosen it to get it around and it couldn't. So I need a man size wrist one. Well, they do fit you. I'm just going to show you how to do it next time when we send them. See these two little balls, you know, you have tiny we balls. We tried forever. Take these balls and pull really, really hard. And then it cinches. Oh, so just grab this. Son of a. I knew there was a way. None of us could figure it out. Well, that's why I'm not a, a, an engineer. That's okay. You don't need to be. But that's the one we did with the boot campaign, the You Matter. That's the buddy check. Check on your buddies. Yep. It's, it's that simple, man. Fuck yeah. Nothing more complicated than that. Really, really easy stuff. But yeah, that's our uh, that's our suicide prevention tool. And it seems to work all right. So we're we're going to keep pushing forward with that and see where we well, go. Well, that's my ask. I'll buy it. But can, I need, can you send me send me like two? Or are they on the website? Do you have a website? Can you plug your own stuff on here? Do I have a website? Yes, it's brass. No, I mean, like, are they in stock? Well, I know that, but I'm saying, are they on the website? The boot campaign, point? yeah, yeah. So the boot campaign has, uh, they just ordered a bunch more. So the boot campaign has cool. them, um, the You Matter section. And then we have our buddy check ones on the Brass and Unity page as well. But go buy those and Sweet. we donate donate the proceeds, man. It's simple as that. Epic. Thank you All right, my friend. Oh, hey, well, I appreciate you guys. Like I said, if if... I've learned anything from being in this community. It's that if you surround yourself with the right people, there really is no limit and line to where you can go in this life, whether it's in one part of business or another, you don't have to be, you don't have to be an expert at it, but you just have to start. And I think that's, what's compelling to me about you is you just started. You didn't just sit there and look back at the video. You could have deleted that, but that was the spark. Like you just started. And I, I gotta be honest. I, I do recommend the hell out of your book. I recommend the audio though, because your audio is funny as fuck. I've texted you about it three times. It is Thank funny. You. And you bring levity to things that I think if people heard the way that you deal with them, it would give them, oh, it's okay for me to talk about it that way. Oh, it's okay for me to joke about it. Even though it's painful, it's okay. 
I think that's right. what makes the difference. So that's why I've been pushing to have you on because your perspective is a little different than others. Um, and your viewpoints are, are fantastic. So can you tell everyone where they can find you on your socials? Sure. I mean, Matt Best across the, across the internet. Um, Instagram is probably where I'm, I'm most active on and YouTube, we do crazy stuff. And then obviously Black Rifle Coffee, but. I'd really appreciate a full Instagram page just dedicated to your mustache or the mustaches of Black Rifle. <laughs> I'm just going to post one later. Just, mm. All right. just tag, just tag me in it. All right, my friends, yeah. we got to jump. Right. Um, but everyone else that's been Matt Bass. We'll see y'all next week. Thank you.